2: Welcome back to the Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm your host for today, Cameron Cliff joined as always by Alex Fulberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. After a scrappy opening game to the series, Boston finds itself down 1-0 to the Brooklyn Nets. And to discuss this series in its entirety, we've brought on a special guest, Ajay Brown of Netswire. Ajay, how are you? Welcome to the pod.
3: Hey, I'm honored um, to be on. uh, Honestly, I'm great. After that first game one, we definitely have a preview of what's expected. For the rest Rub of the it season. in!
0: <laughs> I, love it.
3: Right. I didn't want it to be you guys to go up against the Nets first, but man, man. Especially after that game by Tatum Against the Wizards.
2: Are you a Nets fan by trade or just uh just for this position?
3: Uh I grew I was growing up a Nets fan. Right. Okay, cool. And then uh I, I kind of moved to neutral to but just you know, watching them win, I don't mind it at all. So. Yeah,
2: old habits die hard. <laughs> yeah. No, we are very neutral about the Celtics on this podcast. Certainly we do, are not <laughs> hanging our hats on how well they do. Uh, speaking of which, Alex, Dr. Quinn, how you doing?
4: Well, you know, I'm doing okay. I have to say, I think that the Celtics, despite uh, the loss that they took in the kind of crappy second half, I, I really thought that they played a little better than I expected them to. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm doing fine.
5: Cool. I've been enjoying the this, this series so far, uh, There's some good stuff that we could talk about that was really positive that's worthwhile, you know. You know,
4: it's just really nice to have playoff basketball back. And after this horrible regular season, which has just felt like a slog for so long with all of these players missing time. And just, you know, the kind of all of the like dubious ethical issues that we covered on previous pods about being an NBA fan. At the end of the day, the NBA playoffs are still the best playoffs of any sport, and it's really not even close. So it's, a, it's just nice to have them back. Before I came on here, I was watching a really great battle between the Knicks and the Hawks, and mm. the Knicks fans were just losing their minds. So it's nice to be back playoffs.
2: Yeah, let's keep keeping ourselves safe from COVID because I, I'm really liking having fans back. Uh, friend of the pod, Spike Lee, seems to be enjoying himself very much. So uh, Ajay, we did bring you on to talk about the Nets and the Celtics, but uh, we're going to save that for the lab portion of the programming. And first, we're just going to kind of go around the horn with some more Celtic-centric stuff, but we'd love your feedback on that. So uh, in the middle of the long-awaited postseason, let's talk about Summer League. Vegas Summer League is back. The The draft will be July 29th, and hopefully that goes off without a hitch. Vegas League uh, Summer League will start shortly thereafter. Dr. Quinn, any thoughts?
5: Well, we actually do have some players. It would be good to see if there is any reason to reconsider hanging on to some of them. Uh, I know that a lot of them have played themselves out of the rotation in the postseason, so we may not see them again until Vegas Summer League. If we see them again... And we also have some younger players who are doing pretty well and I'm excited to actually see get some run uh, against some competition that is, you know, not going to keep them on the bench.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if the Nets are going to be big players in the summer league, but
3: yeah, I don't, I don't know how they're going to do in the summer league, but I don't expect it to be um, similar to any of the runs that they've been making in the regular season or dominance, but I do know that this draft class is gonna be more different, as you mentioned. Yeah. That, that they're they're extremely talented. We have players that already play professionally in the G League. Mm-hmm. So just to see how they will gel in the summer league right after playing in the G League, specifically John, Jonathan, Kaminga and Jalen Green, I wanna see how that's gonna look. If they're gonna amplify their game and elevate their game in the summer league or if they're gonna slow down.
5: Yeah.
2: I'm I'm not ready to call it quits on the Celtic season and certainly not this postseason, but I am pretty excited about the new crop of um, incoming rookies. I think that's going to be super fun. So let's work backwards. Uh, Summer League will be sometime, uh, if you can believe it, during the summer. Supposedly, there's going to be an Olympics. I don't know if it (laughs) really will happen or ought to happen. Yeah.
0: uh,
2: Fournier is going to play for France, which would be cool. Uh, His free agency impending. It would be nice to see how he does. I don't know if he's had enough time to fully recover from COVID, so I don't know if this data is from this play playoff series is going to be telling enough, but the the Olympics might be, but also maybe they shouldn't have the Olympics. Uh, So before we actually get into the series, just a few bookkeeping things, a few things that are petty and pointless and oh, so fun to talk about. Uh, Danny Ainge said that he thought uh, Kyrie really meant it when he said he was going to come back to Boston and let's go around the horn and talk about that. I'll just throw into the ring that, the commercial that he made with his dad it was pretty convincing. Uh, Aj, so you've been a Nets fan for a while. So, did seeing this—this this was a few years ago now—did you think Kyrie was going to sign, resign with the Celtics when he was with the Celtics?
3: Not at all. I was oh. all in on the D'Angelo Russell train, you know, <laughs> Jared Allen train. You could call it and the Spencer Dinwiddie train. Those are the players that we had at that time. But when mm-hmm. Kyrie Irving said that he was coming to the Nets that summer, I was like, why us? Like. I thought he was happy with Boston. He did come off a year that he he regretted because I believe you guys got bounced by the Bucks.
2: Yeah. Like, like that was,
3: <laughs> sorry to bring back the memories, but that was a sad mm-hmm. series. And knowing Kyrie, I thought he would have wanted to bounce back with the same squad. Or if he really wants to play with KD that much during that summer, maybe try to recruit him to Boston. But then again, how would that work out with Tatum there? You know, so...
2: So, Alex, let me ask you this. What do you remember thinking uh, from that moment? The, the Bucs series was certainly something, uh, but yeah. maybe, maybe the maybe this is revisionist history and the mood was a little different.
4: Uh, well, my mood was very different up until the Bucs series. I really thought that Kyrie was going to resign for most of that year. Um, but when that Bucs series happened, watching his kind of disengagement on the court, the fact that he was... Kind of deliberately hunting bad matchups, like explicitly trying to guard Giannis, that mm-hmm. that showed to me that he was not particularly enthused with staying on the Celtics uh, for the foreseeable future. And you know, Danny Ainge, so addressing Danny Ainge's comments, he mentioned that um he was surprised, like myself, that Kyrie ultimately left for Brooklyn. And I have to say, you know. Given that, trying to square that with Kyrie's comments from earlier, a couple of weeks ago, when he mentioned that he and Durant had had this thing in the works for a while, if that's the case, if we're going to take Kyrie at his word there, and maybe, you know, with some collaborating evidence based on how they were hanging out at the All Star game that year, but Mm -hmm. if we're going to take Kyrie at his word there, I don't think that speaks particularly well of Danny Ainge as a GM. Your whole job is to know what is going on with these players to get a sense of where they're at and what they're going to want in free agency and try and build this team around them. If Danny Ainge didn't know that Kyrie was seriously considering forming a super team with Durant, if he was truly blindsided, I think that that's actually a kind of bad look. So I was a little surprised by those comments.
2: I'm I'm surprised people keep asking about it and he keeps responding as if it's something to continue to talk about. Alex, perhaps you're right. Perhaps it reflects poorly on him, but you would think he would say, Hey, we don't need to talk about it anymore. Um, but to close the loop, I remember it being reported that they had been talking about this since the Rio Olympics when they were all on that boat, uh, because of the Zika virus. So this might've gone back a long time. Uh, I think players have agency, and I think Kyrie Irving is really good at changing his mind, so I don't really hold it against Ainge, but I am a little shocked that he continues to stoke the flames a little bit. Dr. Quinn, anything we missed from two years ago or today?
5: Well, I mean, as far as Danny talking about believing him, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't believe him. I mean, you can only mm-hmm. go with what the players tell you. If you hear chatter that things are happening, then, you know, to your point, Alex, you can make a move. And this is me kind of talking the opposite of the thing that I usually do uh, when it comes to Danny Ainge and star talent. I, I do think that at that point in time, it did make sense to to gamble and to see if you can hold that that whole core together for another season, come back and see what you could do. I don't know, I want to push back a little bit on that. I do have to agree that it is his job to to do these things, but um, I'm curious to hear what Ajay has to say about this from kind of an external perspective. Are we talking about this too much? Should we just let this go? Uh, no, not at all. Like, I, hear, I hear what you guys are saying, and I
3: kind of put this question in my head for you guys. Uh, would you guys rather the Celtics trade Jason Tatum if they had a chance at keeping Kyrie to learn um, the rant or would you rather keep Tatum and bet on his future, but, you know, let go of Kyrie. If you were put in that situation at Danny age was in and actually knew about like for sure, like since it's speculated, but actually knew that um, all this was happening behind the scenes. Good question.
2: Uh, <laughs> Alex didn't like the question. Uh, no, that's a really good question. Uh, I want to be really mindful of not letting what I know now about Jason Tatum color what we thought back then. So I would say if there was somehow a way to get Kyrie and Durant on the Celtics 100 times out of 100, you do it. Because as, as good as Jason Tatum was and projected to be, I don't think we could have even predicted this. So I would have for sure looked for a way to uh, keep Kyrie in Boston, bring Durant in, into Boston. I don't know that they're the type of players or business people that would be happy in Boston for a long time. Uh, it's a small place. It's Durant is seven feet tall and a multimillionaire. There's not really that many places for him to live that lifestyle in private in Boston, whereas I think New York and Brooklyn, it's a little easier. So uh, I'm not super shocked that you, you know, he picked San Francisco and then ultimately picked Brooklyn. Uh, but to really answer your question, yeah, 100 times out of 100, I would have taken that trade. Yeah,
5: no, I, I've always been really resistant to breaking up the promise of the Jays. And I don't know what I would have said at the beginning of the season, but if you asked me this question, anytime past the midway point or so of the season, I probably would have just banked on Tatum because even even – let me just put it this way. Uh, I was trying very hard to keep talking myself into wanting Kyrie to come back. And I knew it was the right thing from a basketball perspective, but his relationship with the media in particular has always been a very, very difficult one to parse. I mean, I know even for, for, for you Nets writers, it's been fairly difficult. I mean, he was like issuing statements for you guys at the beginning of this season. He's, he's a difficult yeah. <laughs> person to cover, you know, and uh, I don't know. Um, if it depends on when you asked me last season, because basketball brain says exactly hundred times out of hundred, you get those two people, those two players on a team. You do it every time. But my gut feeling by mid season was that, that Kyrie wasn't going to work out. And again, to say what you said earlier, coloring, what I knew at the time, I probably still would have banked on getting Durant to Boston as well. Cause it's just look at what he does, you know? Um, But that said, I did have some qualms about the idea, and I've always had some qualms about breaking up the Jays ever since they've gotten on the team.
4: Yeah. You know, I think that it's so hard because you really do, to your point, Dr. Quinn, have to kind of go back to the mindset of where you were in in 2018, not really this year. Because, like, obviously, you know, hindsight being what it is, like, of course you don't want to trade Jason Tatum. That dude's going to be a multiple-time All-Star and MVP candidate. Uh, At the same time, you know, Kevin Durant, that's probably one of the 15 best players who's ever played the game. Um, If you have a shot to get Kevin Durant, you should almost certainly take the shot to get Kevin Durant. So what it comes down to for me is, would that have really even mattered? Would getting Kevin Durant to Boston have mattered as much to Kyrie as, say, going to Brooklyn with another star player like Anthony Davis, who was also available at the time and who Brooklyn almost certainly could have acquired, uh, you know, with the right trade assets. If, if for Kyrie, it was more about being closer to home, to New Jersey, to the Nets fans and all that, which I suspect had a pretty heavy part in this, yeah. uh, then I think that the answer to that question uh, has to be no. So once again, it really comes down to, like, what's going on in Kyrie Irving's head, which is the most difficult question that NBA (laughs) GMs have had to answer for many, many years now.
2: Well, uh, let's fast forward because we know that the Celtics did not make that trade. And we know that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving ended up in Brooklyn. And someone named James Harden is also playing in Brooklyn. And recently, Coach Brad Stevens had this to say. Uh, ahead of the Celtics matchup against the Nets. If I'm ju- just a general fan of the NBA, I have a hard time seeing them lose. We're going to have to play great. I think that Brad Stevens knows a thing or two about the media, and we can talk about that in just a second. Uh, but let us I'm going to throw in someone's response. So anyone who listened to the podcast last week knows that I do a really good Marcus Smart impression. So here's my Kendrick Perkins impression. Brad Stevens, if you love Brooklyn that much, why don't you go coach them? Go join the coaching staff. Listen, I played for the Boston Celtics for eight and a half years. I know the definition of the city of champions. They have something called Celtic pride. That wasn't Celtic pride. So, uh, Jai, you can just sit back and smile while <laughs> Boston has a meltdown. Uh, Alex or Dr. Quinn, I, I thought for sure that this Stevens quote was a nothing burger, but either one of you, what do you think? What do you think of what Perk said? Uh, and then I we have... Joe Psy, who has something he pitched in on Twitter, one of you can share.
4: Um, It is a nothing burger, Kim. You are absolutely right on that. In fact, it is even more nothing than a nothing burger. I have heard coaches say something to this effect about their playoff opponents nine billion times in my NBA fan career. This is so utterly irrelevant. And once again, it's just a case of perk or whoever it might be, Gary Tangier or whatever, some Boston media dipshit injecting themselves to get in on a story that isn't a story just so that they can hear their name go around the news cycle. I have to say, as a Celtics fan, there have been a lot of things that have been frustrating about this season, but none of them have been more frustrating than Boston media taking every single thing said by a member of this team or by a coach or by a gm and blowing it up to be this meltdown level crisis event please please shut the fuck up i'm begging
5: you about that whole Kyrie irving leaving thing i won't even (laughs) go there but I do agree. Uh, the Boston media is a particularly harsh light. They expect a lot of their players. And when you throw in some clickbait generation, it can create a perfect storm of I don't even know how to say it. It's just an awful to deal with. Coverage. Uncouth. Yeah, there you go. It's quite uncouth. It's uh I think we can cover sports in a way that doesn't kind of go to the like most like common denominator type, you know, clickbaity stuff. And I understand that Perk needs to establish himself and he's doing a pretty good job. He got a cover, uh, I think it was Sports Illustrated, specifically for these kinds of takes. And you right. know, if it's working for him, I understand why it's happening, uh, but I, I do think that sports media journalism is at its best when it gets you to engage with the product because it's actually interesting, not because it's generating the outreach machine.
4: Uh, Justin, you said that you weren't gonna go there, but I am gonna go there. So. You're you're a sports media venue, venture like, and you're dedicated to talking shit about whatever anybody is saying on the Boston Celtics organization, et cetera, et cetera, and then you act just baffled, just so confused. When star players decide, actually, I'm going to go somewhere else where I don't have to listen to me being slandered on talk radio every day. It's like, what are you what are you doing? What do you expect is going to happen? These dudes listen to that shit. Like, they don't just live in a vacuum. They hear all of that bullshit. It's no fucking wonder that people leave Boston. Like, what are we doing here? You know, I, I just... I keep seeing this coverage about how like Jason Tatum isn't a leader. It's like, all right, well, this dude is doing literally everything he possibly can in the worst possible situation to try and win games. And if Jason Tatum, God forbid, leaves the Boston Celtics in the next four years when his contract is up, what like? What do? What could we expect? You know, that like, A long if hear some- exactly. If you hear somebody talking shit about you every day for four years, you probably don't want to be around that person. So. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a little drunk no, and I'm okay, very tired of <laughs> all of this nonsense, but it's just, this is, this is what happens. And this is why players leave now. Kyrie, I'm sure had plenty of reasons for leaving the Celtics that didn't involve Boston talk radio, but man, just relax. Just stop.
2: This is probably um a podcast for the off season. And Hey Jai, how you doing? Uh, <laughs> I think we're going to transition to talk about the series itself. Um, I would hazard, though, if you're a, a top professional athlete and you can't handle uh, shock jockeys in Boston, you can't handle any major media market because it's not a Boston problem. Um, and the the media doesn't owe anything to Jason Tatum. If uh, he's not playing up to snuff, they should call it. I think I don't believe the coverage was fair this season. We've talked about this before. Jason Tatum had COVID. Everyone on the Celtics had COVID. So to pound them into the sand makes no sense and is uh, not particularly fair or smart. But let's pick this conversation up over the offseason because there's a lot of meat on these bones. I will offer, before we transition to talk about the series that Joe Tsai said of Brad Stevens' comments, if you believe in the easy kill, you're being set up by the wily Danny Ainge-Stevens ploy. Don't believe none of it because maybe Brad Stevens is just using the media to talk to his guys. Now, speaking of uh, what Brad Stevens was talking about in the first place, there is a series of basketball being played. Uh, And if we have time at the end, we'll go around the horn and talk about kind of all the other series. But while we're talking about apparently this fatalist Celtics-Nets series, we might as well get into the nitty-gritty. So, Jai, you saw, as we all did, that the Celtics kind of blitzed the Nets early on, uh one Rob Williams had a particularly good game. We'll talk about that. But then uh the team from Brooklyn seemed to close up shop pretty pretty easily uh to win game one. What did you see from that game? What do you like from the Nets perspective? What do you like from the Celtics perspective?
3: Oh man, uh honestly, there were some things that I was kind of confused on for Boston's end, uh the offense. I was kind of mm-hmm. um confused as to like what the the problem was, was it that Brooklyn's defense has amplified and improved so much in such a short time between the season and now to hold you guys to 93 points or the Celtics yeah. to 93 points. And also I wanted the Celtics to kind of take advantage more in that first quarter when the Nets were starting off cold. However, I feel like during that, um, that time period, uh, the Celtics didn't take that much advantage, and as a result, Brooklyn was able to easily come back into the game and easily push their lead up to double digits in the third quarter. Um, what I can say I liked about Brooklyn was the fact that they weren't really depending a lot on, um, I guess you can say, offense from the big three until Durant was like, okay, I want to shoot. She started to shoot more shots and towards the end or the second half, although he was cold. But you can tell, like, the option was to not really depend on him in the first half But until the second half came. But, honestly, it wasn't the perfect game for the Nets either. But.
2: Yeah, from a Celtics perspective, without Jalen Brown, I mean, it's a matter of when, not if. And I think, and Dr. Quinn, I'm going to swing this to you because I know you wrote about this, that the Time Lord, uh, Robert Williams, was a real – thing to enjoy from that series or from that game, rather. Um, his Stat line in 23 minutes, 11 points, nine rebounds, and a franchise record nine blocks. And when I tell you I checked three different times to make sure that I was putting that on paper correctly, I, because I didn't uh, see the final box score last night, I, goodness me. So, Dr. Quinn, uh, tell us about what you saw from Robert Williams specifically, and Ajay is suggesting that the Nets have – a lot more that they could put together. What do you think about that?
5: I think he's absolutely right. Uh, I think it's a shame they didn't uh, take advantage of that early lull. But really, I don't think there's some there's a good defined role. You know, Kemba Walker uh, spent the entire season trying to learn how to defer a bit more to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And then suddenly now he has to do the opposite again. And, you know, he's shined in moments when it's clicked for him, but it's kind of like now he's not used to it. And, you know, I think if, uh, you know, to get to, I'm, I'm a little off the rails already here uh, and talking about Time Lord, but <laughs> there, there there, was definitely some opportunities for the Celtics early on. But, I mean, everybody was cold, including Jason Tatum. We can talk about that more in a minute. Not starting Time Lord seemed very odd to me. I didn't think he was going to play, you know, even though they said that he yeah. was available. And then he came out and it was just – I have never seen him play that well. That was definitely easily, in my opinion, his best game as a Celtic. Uh, It's not fair to expect something like a historic performance from anyone on a regular basis. But seriously, though, this bodes (laughs) very well for the future as long as he is, and this is important, healthy. No one has had a performance like that in not only the history of the franchise, but that was the fastest nine block performance ever in the history of the NBA. that that. yeah that was just really impressive he was just like he wasn't just hunting blocks he was hunting shutting people down which is a very Mm -hmm. different thing than what he has done in the past he came out and
1: swallowed Claxton alive he what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co
5: He harden's lunge follow him out to the perimeter and just like nope you are not shooting that shot you know I realized that this was all you know adrenaline and you know he said it helped cover his uh his turf toe uh hopefully that continues I, I am frankly surprised they didn't arrest him with a break between the games uh, entirely for this game but yeah. I mean really he he was the takeaway he was the takeaway from this game for Celtics fans he is got to be part of the future, or if he isn't going to be part of the future moving forward, if for some reason they do trade him, you had better get a damn good player back because he is going to be amazing.
2: Alex, I believe you have thoughts on Kember Walker. Uh, so you can respond <laughs> to whatever for Justin sure. just said, but then I know you have some thoughts. And then it's I'm going to go to you.
4: Well I also have some thoughts as as the initial captain of the start, Rod. Uh, bus on this podcast, you know, I, I was thrilled to see Robert Williams play as well as he did, and I mean, he's just such an exciting player to watch when he's locked in like that. Um, you know, I think the as to why he didn't start. I do think that the turf toe and the minutes restriction was the major factor there. I think if Rob were 100% healthy, it wouldn't be a question as to whether he's starting or not. And I also think there's actually something to be said for Tristan being kind of the starter in name only of sorts. Uh, he, he did play reasonably well in that game. And more importantly, the, the with the potent offense that the Celtics are going against in Brooklyn, there's going to be so many fouls that they're going to have to deal out to stop them. And uh, the case for starting Tristan is basically to come in and absorb those two quick fouls that you know is going to come right off the bat and then throw Rob in and protect him a little more. So I, I can sort of see why they started him. But it's clear to me that Robert Williams is the best big on this team and has been for some time and absolutely should, at a minimum, be closing games. As far as his minutes, we'll see how that goes. I mean, turf toe is really, really painful. That is not a fun injury to have if you are like me and six feet tall, let alone (laughs) six, eight and jumping out of the building. So I can't even imagine the amount of pressure that's going on to his foot right now. And that's got to suck. Uh, That being said, you know, Celtics, their backs are firmly against the wall against a team that I had going to the finals at the beginning of this season. So they're going to need every minute that they can get from him. Um, As far as Kemba, I mean, that's just kind of been the story of Kemba Walker's season. There have been times when he's looked really good and he's gotten into a rhythm and he's helped the team a lot. There's been a lot of times where he has really not looked very good, where he has looked like a medium to kind of poor quality starting point guard in the NBA. And you look at the stats without watching the game last night and you say, oh, Kemba didn't have a great game, but he wasn't awful. Well, Kemba scored eight of his points of his, I think, 15 points. He scored eight of those points when the game was well out of reach in garbage Mm -hmm. time. He just decidedly did not make an impact on the game at all. And it's one thing if you have a point guard who doesn't make an impact on the game. And that player is Peyton Pritchard or Carson Edwards, a a guy who comes in and maybe they'll give you 20 minutes. Maybe they won't. It is entirely another thing when your starting point guard on a max contract comes in and gives you that kind of a performance in the environment of the playoffs. So I don't know. I think the the biggest question for the Celtics this offseason is what are you going to do with the Kemba Walker situation. And I, I just don't think that there's an easy answer at this point.
2: Yeah. To, to close that loop, Kemba was a game worse minus 21 for his plus minus at the end of the night. Uh, So it doesn't sound like we're pretty confident the Celtics uh, have a chance to win this series, but from your perspective uh, from the net side of the street, what ways could you see the Celtics winning a few games, either things that they do correctly or things Brooklyn does incorrectly? If – that's a great
3: question. If Robert Williams could become the Kembe Mutembo for, let's say, three more games, four more yeah. games. Yeah. That <laughs> run together, okay. Then then he will handle the work um, defensively. Uh, if Kemba Walker could wake up, um, Alex, you pointed out that he he just doesn't wake up. During the playoffs. This kind of reminded me of that series last year against the Raptors when I didn't really see Kemba Walker show up when it was time for him to show up. Mm -hmm. Um, That may be something that he needs to tap into now because if you're going to do it against the Nets and do it one time, your confidence is just going to go through the roof. So if he could get that going in game two and then come to a, a crowded Boston crowd for the first time in a long time and perform well you guys could be up to one in the series and that's the best chance to win it all. I meant win it all, win the whole series. But once you mm-hmm. beat the Nets, you're proving to the league that, okay, we're capable of beating anybody because of all the talent that the Brooklyn Nets possess. And I just want to point out that um, Robert Williams, whew, he, he calls attention from Nets fans and Nets fans apparently want him now. So I would say just be careful
2: <laughs> with him. <laughs> be careful with him, Boston. Seriously. Yeah, this is not the series to ruin his, his future, just to win a game or two. Justin and Alex, between Aaron Nesmith, uh, Pritchard, Jabari, uh, these kind of uh, unbelievable role players, the players that for better or for worse are going to need to make an impact, who do you have your eye on most, and who do you think might actually come through and help the Celtics maybe win a game?
4: It's gotta be Aaron Niesmith. I just think cool. that um, you know, the best case scenario for Aaron Niesmith is probably the highest ceiling of any one of those guys. He is such an aggressive crasher on the glass. He really didn't look that bad defensively either, which I was really impressed by. Um, and he can hit outside shots and space the floor. And, you know, if he can do all of those things, if Niesmith can put together a starting caliber performance in this series. I do think there's a window for the Celtics to maybe steal a game or two, Um, but it's a huge ask of a guy who had a shortened off season, coming off an injury, and really didn't look like an NBA player until basically last month. That being said, If Neesmith is able to put together a couple of good games, that really raises the ceiling for what the Celtics are capable of. They need one more guy who can consistently hit an outside shot, relieve pressure on Jason Tatum, uh, and force the defense to kind of play them honestly. And uh, if he can be that guy, that's a great sign for Boston.
5: I feel like you are selling Neesmith short a little bit with his defense. Uh, He covered all three of Brooklyn Stars last night and Mm -hmm. managed to force at least two of them into misses. I mean, some of it was probably, you know, just the luck of, of averages. But I mean, not getting completely punked by some of the best players in the world is a pretty impressive thing, considering that he was on national television. I'm very happy with his performance in that particular regard. It might end up uh, causing us to end up seeing him on another team in the near future, potentially as soon as this offseason, if we believe some of the things that Danny Ainge is talking about on on New England Sports Radio. But I think more than anything, what surprised me the most about the supporting cast was that Fast PP disappeared so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, he basically just was out there just... I know he got completely swallowed up by KD the last time they played, no, the first time they played this season. And that might kind of be, you know, mentally scarring a bit, but uh, I do think he's going to show up a bit more than he has so far. Even if he's just hitting the occasional outside shot from deep. um, He seems to be pretty good at doing that regardless of the moment. And what about Jabari Parker? I mean, like what was going on there? Uh, It was quite the surprise to see him in the game, Never mind being pretty decent for stretches.
2: Yeah, I mean, Pritchard only logged seven minutes. Jabari ended up playing 22. I mean, this Nets team is big. Uh, It's switchy. Uh, Outside of, I mean, Kyrie and Harris, I mean, it's a long team. And I wonder if that was Stevens's thinking, was maybe he didn't like what he saw from Pritchard, so he logged fewer minutes, or maybe he liked that Jabari was a big body and had six fouls to give. He He hung around. I mean, he's played really competitive basketball before. Nerland's Noel concurrently as we're recording this podcast is playing really meaningful playoffs minutes. So you never know. Ajay, just as a basketball fan, I mean, are are you rooting for Jabari? Are you confused by Jabari? What do you think when you see Jabari Parker in 2021 making impacts in the postseason? I love
3: it. I love it. Uh, Jabari Parker was um, one of my favorite plays in his draft class. Mm -hmm. Um, I just can't remember what year it was, but he was projected to be, the next big thing. Right. Um, playing alongside Giannis didn't work out. Okay. I believe the Bulls gave him another chance. Didn't work out. Okay. I believe he went over to the West Coast for one trip too, I believe. Uh, he was in
5: the
2: Kings for a little bit.
3: Yeah, the Kings. They don't work. Wizards <laughs> for a cup of coffee as well. <laughs> right. And if you could find that luck um, playing for the Celtics, that, that would be great for not just the Celtics, but – the basketball world in general because injuries literally make his career what it is right now so if he could define himself as someone else and like how derrick rose has done for himself because of injuries he's became a, a reliable point guard off the bench for the knicks if jabari parker could carve out a role for the celtics and somehow just be utilized for something that's really important in game. Not like what I don't expect him to do what he used to do back in the day. I just want him to be one of those pieces that the Celtics can have that can stretch the floor. He could go work in the inside, perhaps draw more fouls. He definitely has a lot more potential still left in him. So just happy.
2: Yeah, honestly, I think that that's the takeaway for the Celtics is if everyone can walk away healthy, that's great. If players like Jabari, Tristan Thompson, a few others can boost their profile for the good of game or for a future trade. That's great. And if uh, Neesmith and Pritchard and even Tatum, who is still 23 years old, can get a little bit of burn and some more playoff minutes under their belt. I think that that's radically important. And given all the crap the Celtics went through this year, honestly, like a perfectly fine outcome. So
4: Listen, man. As long as Jabari is getting minutes, it means that Semi Ojoy is not getting minutes, and that's all that I can hope for.
3: What's the problem with them?
4: Ah, uh, Semi. How much time I, do
2: you have? <laughs> yeah,
4: I just my my thing with Semi is his whole deal was like being a really sound and strong defensive player, and for a while he was pretty solid at that. And now he does he does the thing where. Semi, in order to get into good guarding position to stop drives, will do these like furious chop steps to like get himself and his gigantic chest in the way of whatever is coming at him. And the problem with doing that is now it's a jump shooting league. And when Semi is chop stepping in the lane, that means that a shooter is open for another half second and he just can't close out. I I can go on a whole Semi-Ogele rant, but This dude has lost seemingly every ability that made him an NBA
2: player. I mean, uh, Alex is going to run semi-old jelly out of town. Uh, Let's uh, let's do this. Let's close by just taking a quick walk around the rest of the NBA because certainly that will be relevant for the Nets and it might be relevant for Celtics fans as they tune their attention to other teams. So uh, I'll just breeze through kind of where the league is at, although not every game will have been played by the time we're done recording this. And certainly in the Eastern Conference, if we have any thoughts, let's chime in. Uh, Portland beat Denver uh, behind a pretty great Carmelo Anthony performance. I think that's the big takeaway, but any thoughts on that one in no particular order?
4: It's going to be really hard for Denver to win that series if Jokic plays as well
3: as he did, and they still lose that game. I agree 100%, but also Portland is forcing him to score the ball. If Jokic has one cold shooting game, they're already blocking off all the passing lanes for him. He only had about like six assists. He averaged about like nine, 10 a game. Good luck to Denver. That's all I have to say.
5: Yeah, man. The Blazers are surging at exactly the right moment. I don't expect them to win the series, but I'm starting to second guess my initial assessment of that series.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, and I'll take your answers in the opposite order. Portland has a lot riding on this postseason. If they have an early exit, I think that there will be changes, if not on the sideline, on the roster. And another team that has a lot riding on this postseason uh, is the Los Angeles Clippers, but they just lost to Dallas. Jai, what do you think? Uh, Good night, Irene, or it's just one game?
3: Um, it's going to get worse for the Clippers. J.J. Redick is on his way back. Uh, Lucas still needs to tap in more to his potential in this playoff series. And KP, I pray Chris Asperzinga stays healthy for this series so we can get a great competitive series because the Mavericks can beat them if the Clippers continue to play with this less urgency. You know, they weren't playing with that much urgency yesterday. I don't know if that's what you guys saw also.
4: I'm going to go the opposite direction. I think the Clippers are still very much in this series. The Clippers are such a weird and enigmatic team and they're prone to these strange slumps, but when that team is at their best, they're really freaking hard to beat. And I just, I really don't think that Kawhi is going to go out in the first round like that. So I'm sticking with the Clips.
2: Yeah. Well, it's worth pointing out that uh, last year, the Lakers lost all of the first games and uh, all of the series that they played before the finals. So let's, let's continue to wring our hands as we go through the rest of these games, but let's keep that in mind. Uh, speaking of last year's playoffs, Milwaukee and Miami are playing again in this year's playoffs and Milwaukee beat Miami 109-107 in overtime. And Giannis was just the best. I'm so excited for Giannis to continue to be like a presence in my life. And I really want him to win a Larry OB, uh, Anyone on that series, thoughts, predictions, Alex?
4: Um, I think that was a huge gut check win for the Bucks, and I think it's actually going to be very important for them for the rest of this playoffs. The Bucks really need to come out of this first round Uh, having won a, I think, a like battle-tested, hard-fought series against Miami. I think that that will actually make them a better and more threatening team to go through the ringer against a really tough, well-coached playoff opponent. And I think if the Bucs can beat Miami, I actually think that they would pose a very serious
3: threat to Brooklyn in the second round.
2: Ajay, what do you think?
3: I actually want to uh, take the other side for this one. Um, I think it's over for the Milwaukee Bucks.
2: What I what I saw from game
3: one was that, okay, Miami's not even at home yet, right? Yeah. And Goran Dragic was their leading scorer throughout the playoffs until they got to the finals and he got hurt. But when I saw Dragic yesterday playing in that same type of form he was playing in last year, I was like, okay, this is scary for the Bucks for game two and game three because Jimmy Butler is still going to be – there. Bam Adebayo had a bad shooting game when he was taking that jump shot like near the free throw line. He kept resorting to that. He can make that. He showed us us that this season. So if he starts hitting that, Jimmy Butler starts playing like Jimmy Butler. Goran Dragic plays like him, you know, like his playoff form from last year. You still got Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn, Trevor Reza, which is a great piece for Miami. I don't think Milwaukee could get past the the heat in the first round, although I, l- I like how Chris Middleton played last night and I like the addition of Drew Holiday, but I'm looking at the depth. I don't think the depth of the Bucks will match up with the heat.
2: I think, yeah, I think that's a really good point that this was a real, this was at times the best that I think the Bucs could play and they weren't really able to put the, the heat to bed. But that said, the heat also had a ton of COVID uh, issues. So maybe they're better than the record would suggest. Uh, Philadelphia beat Washington in a game I really don't like talking about the refs. I think it cheapens the breakdown, but the refing was making it hard to enjoy the game in rhythm. Uh, but Philly did beat Washington, so they're one up on the Wizards. Any thoughts on that game? Anyone catch that one?
3: That was earlier today. Uh, I, I was able to catch um, the end, yeah. but all I saw was that one call – that one call made by the ref for Westbrook's fall on the line.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: In real time, it looked like it was out of bounds. But when I saw the replay, his heel wasn't really on the line. It was just above it. Well, that that's just my perspective. However, I'm not really on the refs for making that call for the Sixers and saying it was Sixers ball because it was really, it really, was really close. I, I caught the very end of that game. I, you know Honestly, Washington just doesn't
4: strike me as much of a challenge for Philly. I think they're going to cruise in that series. Wake me up when Philly gets into the second round is how I'm approaching them.
2: Yeah, the, the roster design uh, that Philly put together is starting to come into its own. I thought that was pretty fascinating. I've, uh, this is an offseason topic, but they need to figure out the replay stuff. I think when you're playing the game one and a half minute delay doesn't feel that long, but as a fan, it's just excruciating. And I really want them to rethink that workflow, but that's a different conversation. Uh, Phoenix beat Los Angeles, the Lakers, uh, this afternoon, Chris Paul, really only had the ability to use one arm and he still got it done. Devin Booker was a revelation and LeBron was good. Not great. And Anthony Davis was probably not even good. Uh, i'm really curious about that one alex
4: the sun's defense was outstanding today that was the big takeaway i had from that game i mean they were rotating they were attacking the ball handler they were making life really really difficult for everybody in the lakers to get into rhythm and they did a nice job harassing lebron uh and then on the other end you know every time devin booker sees andre drummond pick and roll that's that's game time. That's barbecue chicken, mm-hmm. as Shaq would say. Uh, I think the Suns turned in an outstanding performance to start this series off. And I think they put some real pressure on the Lakers. Uh, this is going to be a dogfight. And I think this is going to end up being the most competitive series of this first round as a result.
5: Yeah. Dr. Quinn? Did not catch the game, but did not expect that outcome. Uh, Though, to be fair, as you pointed out earlier, uh, the Lakers did lose every first game of every series they played last season. So uh, I'm curious to see how it unfolds. I do think that Phoenix has what it takes to beat the Lakers in their current state, but if they can kind of find their path again after, you know, being shaken up a little bit by injury late in the season, I think we could have a pretty good series here.
2: Uh, Ishai, any thoughts on Lakers-Phoenix? For sure,
3: Uh DeAndre Aiton, monster game. Yeah, yeah, twenty three points and fourteen boards.
2: I think it was fifteen, time. maybe something like that. Whew,
3: what a big game from him! He outshined Anthony Davis his matchup. He outshined Andre Drummond and he outshined mm-hmm. um Hunter's Harrell. All all big men that play for the Lakers that are supposed to be, you know, better than um DeAndre and uh Devin Booker. That was our first look at him in the playoffs and. Like you said, uh, like you said, Cam, that was a revelation what we witnessed. And that was just his first game in the playoffs with CP3 supposed to kind of like show him the ways of the playoffs. That's what, how we all expected it to be. But with that injury, um, Devin Booker just stepped up and he was like, okay, I don't care if it's LeBron and, and the Lakers. I have to help my Phoenix team that made it to the second seed this season. Get, I have to get them past this round. And uh, I like, I believe it's definitely going to be a, a crazy series, but I also have concerns about the Lakers offense because they can't really space the floor and it actually made it easier for the Suns to um, defend them. When you have a player like Andre Drummond and Montrezl Harrell, they're not, they're not spacing out the floor. And Kyle mm-hmm. Kuzma kind of mentioned earlier in the season that he wants Marcus Gasol to come in the game because it helps his game better. But yeah. you know, that's a decision for only Frank Vogel to make. I do have to say, we can't leave this game without talking about the fight. Um,
4: (laughs) Campaign getting ejected for getting form tackled by Montrezl Harrell just makes absolutely no sense. I get that he threw the ball. I get that he was being kind of pissed off, but the Lakers were beating the crap out of Phoenix that whole game. And this is the playoffs, people come on let's let the people play and then let's if we're gonna eject someone maybe eject trez for being a fucking middle linebacker and taking this dude out for no reason what the I think, hell
2: i think he tripped it looks like he tries to get to the spot and then is surprised at how hard he hits campaign but no, i do I, agree it I was not a
3: pain though because <laughs> yeah. i was the second like...
2: yeah I mean, you're not supposed to throw the ball. I think that that's by the book. But I agree. That's definitely
3: the first second.
2: The second one, I'm not. You I
4: mean, got hit. Yeah, I will. I do think that it's it's on with Chris Paul and LeBron right now. Like those guys are friends off the court, but they are not friendly right now. I saw that little cheap shot that Chris Paul snuck in on that uh, free throw rebound when he kind of yanked LeBron's arm. And I think that was not so subtly revenge for LeBron cranking onto his arm earlier in that game. So
2: it was reminiscent of our good friend, Kelly Olenek. It was really a sight to behold. Uh, The Knicks and the Nets, I mean, the Knicks and the Hawks rather right now are playing a brilliant game and we'll see Memphis and Utah later tonight. So Ajay Brown, who writes for Nets Wire? Go check him out. We'll get you out of here on this. What team in the East as uh, representative of the Nets are you
3: most worried about? You said representative by the um That are in the East? Yeah, and, uh, team in the East. Sixers. And indeed is a monster in the paint. There is literally no answer that the Nets have for him other than, you know, just make it difficult. Send a double. Make him make someone else make a play.
2: That's the yeah. only option. The Brooklyn Nets have for be. Well, I suppose best of luck to you, but well, maybe not. I don't really know. But like I said, uh, Shai Brown, he writes for Netswire. You can, when the Celtics season is put to bed, you can go shift your attention to all of the wonderful work he's doing over there. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. It was so good to chat with you. And hey, maybe if the season goes on longer than expected, we'll have to do this again.
3: For sure, for sure. And thank you guys for having me here. time.